Count me in, Warren. Come on, count me in. It's the start of the show. <laughs> Hi again, everybody. It's another episode of Inside Curling coming at you for the week of November 29th. Welcome to the show. We'd like to thank everybody for listening and joining us and uh, all the emails we get and all the comments. It's fantastic. And of course, we do it each and every week with me. The other two guys, I don't know who they are. No, I'm kidding, of course. Uh, Warren Hanson, Kevin Martin are two World Curling Hall of Famers. And of course, we've got great sponsors. We want to thank them, Sports Interaction, who brings you what is happening around the curling world. And by the way, we've got a huge announcement to tell you about today. So stay tuned for that. Nestle Boost, the sponsor of Mailbag. Coyote Tractor uh, brings you Hot Rock Topics. And Goldline brings you in the house. And we've got a guest this week and a very interesting guest. So here's what's on the show. As I mentioned, what's happening around the curling world. We've got a big announcement. Also, the European Curling Championships finished this past week, which qualified the final eight nations for the women's and men's worlds next spring. We're going to have a look at that. The Everest Curling Club Championship concluded at West Edmonton Mall. Okay, before we go on, can I just mention something here, Warren? Kevin and I dropped by there, okay? And uh, we took a picture. We watched it. It was it was great. Almost looked like a briar. It's so cool. And Kevin's going to tell us more about it. My sister's been in love with Kevin Martin Warren for about a thousand years. Okay, he won't remember this. The briar was in London. She showed up. I haven't seen her in years. Okay, and I thought she was under the kindness of her heart was coming to see me. She traveled all the way to London from Toronto. I said, "Hey, how are you?" She went, "Where's Kevin? Where's Kevin? Where's Kevin?" I said, "Yeah, I'm good, thanks." Uh, I'm going to give her a shout out. Okay, this is what she said. Uh, She curls on five different teams in four different positions. Uh, She curls five nights a week, okay, at the Calgary Curling Club, the North Hill Curling Club, the Inglewood Curling Club, and uh, this week they're in a bond spiel at the Winter Club. She said, when can I meet Kevin? I said, I'm your brother. How much do you love me? And she said, not as much as Kevin. (laughs) So there's a shout out to my sister and all her teams that she's playing. Uh, so anyway, Kev's going to bring us up to speed on the Everest Curling Club, and then you're going to have to hold me like a baby, okay? I'm so upset. A Grand Slam event. The World Financial Group Masters will get underway in Oakville at the 16-mile sport complex December 6th to the 11th. We're going to review that. Hot Rock Topics. We've reached almost halfway through the curling season, and we're going to take a look at the world rankings, men and mixed doubles as well, to see if there's any surprises so far. We might get to a couple of emails, but we've got one from BJ Jackson and Brandon, and uh, we'll talk about that. Good email. Uh, and in the house, as I had mentioned, a very good guest, Rylan Hartley, who's going to tell us about some of the plans for the curling tour and video streaming that he is doing. What's happening around the curling world? Brought to you by Sports Interaction. You want to bet? You can do it at Sports Interaction. Get in on the action and make a play at Sports Interaction. You've got to be 19 years old to play and only in Ontario. And please play responsibly. Warren, let's get right to it. Big announcement. Big announcement this morning from Curling Canada and the fact that they have indicated that after 19 years, which will be March of 2023, that Tim Hortons will not be continuing as the sponsor of the Briar. So that's big news. They've been with Curling Canada By my memory, going back to 1995, when they first came on as a supplier to the Season of Champions, and then in 2005, they became the title sponsor of the Briar. So that's big news, considering the fact that uh, the Briar goes back to 1927, and there's only been four title sponsors, McDonald Tobacco for 50 years, then Labatt's for 21 years, Nokia Products for four, and for the last 19 years, Tim Hortons. I can some degree see it. It's been a changing world to a very large degree for, for the season of champions and the Briar, since they became involved in 2005. The original idea of the whole season of champions concept was it was to be a first quarter of the year uh, buy for a sponsor, which gave them probably a presence every week or every two weeks between uh, the 1st of January and the early part of April. And that's sort of disintegrated to some degree. There was also a huge aspect of that buy involved commercials on television that end of it. And that's sort of been disrupted for what we have going on now. I mean, the next involvement for a season champions event is the Scotties, which is towards the end of February. So where January and February had events in them before, there's no longer any there. So that's the big announcement. They're looking for a new title sponsor starting for the season of 2024 for the Briar and the trials, because Tim Hortons was also the title sponsor of the trials. 
What if they don't get one, Warren? Oh, they'll get one, Jim. I'm quite sure that I'm not. I don't think that's going to be the issue. The issue probably will be what are they going to get for that sponsor to be the title? And I think the other big one they're going to have a huge uh, challenge with is going to be the trials because that's a one-off event. It's only once every four years. Mm-hmm. And so, I mean, when you have an event that isn't an annual basis, to have a title sponsor involved ongoing is is extremely difficult. This is one of the problems that the world looks at right now, in my opinion, with the men's and women's worlds coming into Canada alternate years they can't put a title sponsor in those events ongoing, so it becomes difficult to get the value, particularly that you'd like to get. First thing I want to say is what a terrific sponsor Tim Horton's been for a long, yes. long time. So, so that that's not good news, I don't think, for curling. Um, but I just uh, you know awfully want to thank Tim Hortons for all the years, and nothing lasts forever. Let's look at it that way too. You know, they're a big company, and they feel that they've got to go a different direction. But that's that's the key, isn't it, Warren? When you're talking about sponsorship of an event, obviously there'll be a title for both. But the value, the market value, that's the important question that needs to be asked. Is uh, you know the why Tim Hortons walks away? I don't think that's for us to discuss. That's a corporate decision. But going forward in curling, it'll be interesting to see who steps in and for what amount. I put our name in, Inside Curling. We're going to sponsor the Briar and the Scotties. We'll be the official. (laughs) (laughs) Quick little update. The European Championships ended uh, last Saturday, which is going to qualify eight men's and eight women's teams for the Worlds. I'm guessing Nick Adeen probably, if if I had to bet, could have got in there. Uh, Warren, give us a little summary of what happened there. Who's getting in? I'll give you a summary of the, the nations that have qualified out of the Europeans, and then Kevin can talk a bit about the winners and, and how people actually did it. So on the women's side, a little bit of a surprise, Madeleine DuPont uh, was the winner out of Denmark, finished the round robin with an eight and one record. They've been around the Twins for a long time. They've done very well at times, but to come through in the manner which they had is quite interesting. Anyway, they were the winners. In second place was Italy, then Switzerland, Sweden, Germany, Scotland, Turkey, and Norway. So those teams, or those nations, I should say, will all be going into the women's worlds next March in Sweden. They will join Canada, Korea, Japan, USA, and New Zealand will be the 13 countries total on the women's side. On the men's side, no surprise with who the winner was. Uh, Bruce Mowat came through again. Again, round robin, eight and one record. So that's number one team out. Italy is number two, Switzerland number three, Sweden four, Turkey, Norway, Czech Republic, and Germany. And they will also join the same nations from the Pan Continental Championship: Canada, Korea, Japan, USA, and New Zealand. In the men's world, being held in Ottawa the first week of April. I should also note that in the Europeans, they have a pool system: A, B, C. The A and B pools were being played in Ostersound last week. On the women's side, Hungary and Latvia will go down to the B side in 2024. And on the men's side, Spain and Denmark will drop down. So that's the way that whole thing is run. But Kevin can tell us more about the teams that were in the winner's circle and the ones that came close. Of course, you got Team Mowat. That's no surprise at all. A big congratulations to Team DuPont. Wow, Madeline, that's a huge win. Huge win for Denmark. I just love to see the uh, teams that are getting through, like Turkey coming through and, and Italy being so strong in, in men's and women's play and, and obviously in mixed doubles as well in Italy's case. So it's an exciting time for, for European curling and for curling in general. But when we're doing this show you know, year after year, the new countries coming in, it's very exciting to see that kind of growth and people coming from the B division, coming from the C division and the countries putting in resources and moving up the scale. And forcing other teams down and there's nothing better for a sport than to have a battle as to your level if you're an a team right staying in a like putting the the resources and the work into staying in a and then if you're a b league team working your butt off and earning the right like turkey has to get into a that's fantastic mm-hmm. and no difference if you're in a c group kind of a beginning nation and working hard and getting up into b you're trying to grow and go up that mountain to the top. I just love what I'm seeing. That's all. It's really, really positive. I think the big one too is Italy in both women's and men's finished in second spot after the round robin. So from the mixed doubles Olympics, Stefani Constantini in the women's side and on the men's side, Joel Rotana. So those two teams have managed to finish in second spot in both men's and women's. So that's a huge step forward, I think. Yeah, you heard it right. Uh, Turkey right? Is going to the world. A men's and women's gym, not just one. It's just terrific. 
Yeah, the format you're talking about, and Warren's a fan of this too, is this relegation. Coincidentally, the, the World Cup of Soccer is on. And if you've been living under a rock, uh, Canada got in for the first time since 86. And Canada is now out for the second time. Uh, <laughs> uh, but c- congratulations, Team Canada. But that's how soccer does. It looks like curling is, has borrowed that. The Everest Canadian Curling Championship concluded last weekend at West Edmonton Mall. If you don't know about the mall, there's a big hockey rink there, and they turned it into, I think, four sheets. Kev, you and I went there. Well, I think it was five sheets, but whatever. There was only four games going. Remember, Stu was doing the announcing, and one sheet, remember? Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah. yeah. I ran into my old buddy, <laughs> Stu. Uh, Stu Brown, who's been been involved in curling as an MC for years. And Kevin and I were chatting, then I heard the big carnival voice. Yeah. Welcome to West Ham. I said, good God, that's Stu. <laughs> Kevin and I are not gray because we don't have any hair. Stu's a little gray, but I know he listens to the show. I kid you, Stu, great job. We spent uh, about an hour or two there, and uh, the winners were as follows. First of all, Kevin, what is the club championships, the Canadian club championships? Well, this is something that I'm a big fan of. I guess not a lot different than the club championship in golf where you, you try to win your province as a club curler, not, not a tour curler, not, you know, not, not somebody that's you know, world-ranked in the top X, but club curlers. And, and uh, you win your province, and then you go to the Canadian Club Curling Championships. Mm-hmm. And that's what was happening at West Edmonton Mall. And there hadn't been any curling there. We put on an event there, the West Edmonton Mall Classic, in 1995 and 1996 in the building mm-hmm. on the ice. And it's not the easiest ice. As we, we were sitting there, Jim, you noticed the entire roof is made of glass. Right. And, and there's something outside of the glass. It's called sunshine that comes through glass <laughs> and ricochets <laughs> off of all kinds of mirrors in the mall and can make hot spots on the ice. So so uh, they, they did bring in Greg Owasik, and, uh, who's a fantastic ice maker, and Audra out of uh, St. Albert as well. They did a great job on the ice. But one thing that uh, I need to mention, you know, you and I, when we were driving there, we're thinking, like, why would you, why would you take a, a club championship to a, a place like the mall? Until we got there, there wasn't traditional seating for everybody that didn't see it. Basically, people could just walk along the mall if you're shopping and then lean over the rail, you know, have a coffee and watch some curling and then carry on with your shopping. And so there's so many people watching that had never seen curling before. Like you, you and I talked to a few people and mm-hmm. uh, they were just enthralled by this game of curling because there's people from all over the world that go to West Edmonton Mall. They're from everywhere and they're just going, wow. And so, so from an advertisement of our great sport, it was a terrific idea. I, I kind of wondered too, I questioned like, you know, why would you do this? It's so much work to, to put ice in that arena if you're not going to have like paying crowd and all that. Mm-hmm. But I, I think it was a great idea. Now that we've been there, we, we saw it, yep. all the people watching. And a lot of people didn't watch for long, Jim. They only watched for a few minutes and then carry on with their shopping, but they've been introduced to our sport live, which was fantastic. You wonder, Kev, if they will do other events there down the road or something bigger. Everest sure stepped up, man, to put that event on. I'm sure they put lots of bucks into it, uh, but it looked really cool. Here's the winners. From Team New Brunswick on the women's side, won the gold. Congratulations to Shaylin Park, Krista Flanagan, Lynn LeBlanc, and Shannon Tatlock. Ontario grabbing the silver and Nova Scotia, the bronze. On the men's side, it was Ontario winning the gold. Congratulations to Greg Balsden, Jordan Keane, Curtis Same or Same, and Trevor Talbot. Quebec won the silver, and Kev Alberta taking a back seat again with the growing sport. They won the bronze. Uh, anyway, great stuff. Uh, it was really cool, and I uh, hope they do it again. We'll and we'll uh, we'll head over there. The next Pinty's Grand Slam, the World Financial Group Masters, starts uh, December sixth in Oakville. Kev, you're going to be there at the Sixteen Miles Sports Complex. What do you think, Kev? What's the event shaping up like? You've had a look at a couple of teams so far. One team that hasn't done much in slams this year is Bruce Mowat. But watch out. They're coming back. They played extremely well in the Europeans. Bobby Lamy is, is back playing his traditional position, being able to sweep. It looked to me like he was sweeping normal again. Maybe not putting quite as much pressure as, as usual, but, mm-hmm. but he's back. So I'd watch out for Bruce Mowat in this one. I think that's a fairly safe bet. I'm also going to be really paying attention to the Botcher team. They need to turn that ship around. They've got to get the uh, their oars in the water somehow. And, uh, you know, it's a big event. And I know that Brendan and the team will be really, really putting a lot of effort into this because that's a team that's just not doing what they would have expected that they could do at the start of this year. And this is the last big event before Christmas. And you'd, if, if, if it doesn't go well, 
and have a half a season where they struggle like they've been struggling, that's hard to recover from. So this is a big event for Team Botcher as well as uh, as Team Mowat. On the, on the women's side, I have to keep paying attention to Rachel Holman's team. They just keep winning and winning, and it just doesn't look comfortable to me. But for some reason, it's working great. So I really want to pay attention to them and just to see how that's going. you got to also have a, a bit of an eye on Jennifer Jones and this five-person team. It's so unusual to have a, a true five-person team where all five are playing. And they're even switching positions, depending if Jennifer's skipping or not. So very unusual. And once again, it's working great. So both the men's and women's sides is going to be fascinating. With all the new teams, they're starting to get used to each other. They're playing a lot better than what they were at the start of the year because it's you know, it's tough when you've got a new team. So I think a lot of them are getting their stride, and we're going to see some uh, some really good curling, probably better than the uh, the first couple of events. Very good, Warren. What do you think? Well, I agree with Kevin. This is probably going to be the best played event so far this year because they've uh, had a, a lot of time to warm up for it. I think in the women's side, I'm looking at probably Einerson, Holman, Terenzoni, Fujisawa, Gim and Kim. I think. Uh, out of Korea, our teams to watch as well. They've had a pretty good year. So those are the ones I think that are going to be close. I think the men's side is a little more wide open. Wow. Carruthers, Dunstan, Eden, Gushu, Kui, Mawat, Rotanas, Swaller. And again, we can't overlook Botcher. Those guys have got to get it going pretty soon. And maybe this is going to be the one that they'll step forward from. Eventually, we're going to get you guys to uh, pick your teams. We did that last season. Had a laugh. I think Warren kicked your ass, Kevin. And that's so <laughs> Warren did actually do very well at that. He did, yes. It's in Oakville, uh, so if you're kicking around the Toronto area, uh, why don't you head over and watch some of the action? Also, you can visit the Pinty's Eat Well Zone. If you want to get some tickets to the Grand Slam event, uh, go to their website, thegrandslamofcurling.com, and go bug Kevin if you're there. That's what's uh, happening around the curling world. Hot Rock Topics brought to you by Coyote Tractor. If you have work to do, Coyote has the tractors, UTVs, and ZTRs to do it. We dig dirt. Uh, So we're uh, coming up to Christmas, and a number of events have been completed. So it's time to look at the world rankings uh, and the standings. Uh, Let's start with you, Kevin. On the men's side, no big surprise with 172 points year-to-date. Team Gushu is number one in the world. I guess the big story with Nick Adin getting injured at the Grand Slam, Team Adin without... Adin, for quite a lot of it, is at 201 points, uh, leading the way with points to date in second spot in the world ranking. So that's notable. Also notable, Team Botcher, I just, you know, we just talked about that team at 133 points year to date. Going into the year, of course, they had a lot of points with the four people that are involved, with uh, Ben and, and uh, Breck Lant and, and Mark Kennedy. And then, of course, Brendan. That's a ton of points joining together. But uh, year-to-date, 133. So that's, and they're in third spot in the world. A team that's come up to all the way to four spot, though, this is important, Matt Dunstone with three Tuckers and the, and the Flatfoot Ryan, 183 points to date. Moving all the way to number four, just in front of Bruce Mowat. I think that's probably the big story this year so far has been uh, the growth of Matt Dunstone as a curler. Very, very impressive in my mind. Warren, what about the women's? Yes, the women's is going to be uh, an interesting finish in the end as well. Let's first take a look at the Canadian teams and who are really at the top of the rung. One and two in the world, Carrie Einerson followed by Rachel Holman. And as Kevin's mentioned before, that Holman team is, is one to watch. Caitlin Laws is number six and Jennifer Jones is number eight. And if I had to suggest who will represent Canada at the Worlds this year, I'd have to go. It's going to be one of those four teams. And uh, I think Einerson and Holman are probably in the driver's seat at the moment. On the world side, number three, Hasselberg, four, Terrazoni, five, Fujizawa, seven, Gim, nine, Schneider, ten, Kim. I would think uh, certainly Anna Hasselberg, she's going to be representing Sweden. She's going to be in the Worlds. Terrazoni is going to be representing Sweden. Fujisawa is going to be representing Japan without question. Korea is going to be interesting. Is it going to be Gim or Kim? There'll be a little bit of a, a struggle there. If we look a little deeper into the pool, we see Tabitha Peterson, USA number 13. I'm pretty sure she'll be in the world women's as well. And way down number 18, even Daniel Jens from Germany. I'm sure she will be there as well. And interesting enough, number 24, Stefani Constantini will also be representing Italy. So we pretty much know right now out of 13 teams who seven of the representatives will be on the women's side. And of course, the Canadian situation, I'm saying it's probably going to be between four of them. 
but who knows? Maybe somebody will be a spoiler. Uh, there haven't been a lot of mixed doubles events, Kev, but uh, how about a run down there? Well, that's always an interesting one. You've got Pere and Rios out of Switzerland, and they are a mixed doubles team. Same as Martin and Griffith at number three spot. Number one is Pere and, and Rios. That's not a shock by any stretch. But when it comes to mixed doubles, a lot of your top four-person players that end up playing mixed doubles at the Olympic Games don't play much until you get to the trials and trying to get the Olympic Games. So this list is a little bit muddy when it comes to that because a lot of the top players are so busy with four-person curling because there's more exposure. Sponsorships are bigger Mm -hmm. in four-person curling. So your top players are going to concentrate where the money is and then come into the fold, mixed doubles, to maybe play in both mixed doubles and four-person curling at the Olympic Games. Now, Canada doesn't allow that, but some countries do. And so that's kind of why this list is a little bit, you know, it'll change a lot when it comes to who's going to actually go to the Olympic Games. You've got Skazley and Dolan Negregotten, another mixed doubles team that are fantastic in four spot. But I think that's the big story in this, Jim, is not so much the list of today, but understanding that it's going to change a lot when we get close to the Olympics because a lot of the top players play in four-person curling and then venture into mixed doubles. And that's kind of the big thing that'll change over the next, I'd say, eight to 12 years. I think mixed doubles, because it's such a wonderful sport, will sort of come into its own a little bit. It's really a very young sport still and doesn't really garner the attention broadcast and and media-wise that maybe it deserves and will deserve in the future. But for now, a lot of teams will play it. But then when it comes to Olympics, your top players to play four-person curling come back into the fold. And don't kid yourself, right, Kev? Uh, playing mixed doubles is unique. And and just because you're on a four-man team or four-women team, it doesn't mean you're going to whip into mixed doubles and start to win right away. Oh, no, 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 no. No, and and, and the top players even play a couple of events every year. Mm-hmm. But, but the teams that play week in, week out, they're at the top of the list. That was my point is that, yes, you can't just walk in and go, oh, you know what, uh, we're just going to win this. And that's not the, the way it works. But right. um, the top players do play an event or two, but not enough not enough to really get to the top of the heap. And that's kind of my point, Jimmy. The really interesting thing to watch is going to be, be to see if Canada sticks with the position that they have taken with if you play four person you can't play mixed doubles because we're hearing from a lot of players that they don't particularly like that so we'll see if that changes i don't know maybe it's too late to change it now for this squad i don't know you know what jimmy if yeah if you happen to have connor mcdavid (laughs) in your country why wouldn't you want that player to play both men's or women's and mixed doubles if you happen to have like a Bruce Mowat, probably the best example, this tremendous curler in your country, or an Eve Muirhead, I guess, you know, now that she's retired, but that she'd fit the mold too, a terrific player. Right. It seems to me that you're, you're kind of lessening your chance on the podium to not have that player involved in both. It just it seems obvious. Right. Kev, you had mentioned what you, know, you think is going to happen with curling in the next 10 to 12 years. Uh, if this is a dumb, I want to ask you both. If it's a dumb question, then I'm only asking one of you. <laughs> uh, Warren, do you do you think there will be a day, uh, Kevin? Do you think there will be a day with all the juggling of teams that happen in Canada all the time? Right, they shake it up every year. That a Canadian guy may go on to a European team or vice versa. Well, right now that's pretty difficult to do. You have to actually have citizenship as far as the Olympics are concerned. So you can't just take up residence. But it's there's an interesting rule. I was chuckling when I saw the Danish girls win the European Championship. And uh, there's a rule at the world level, if you have a parent who was born in the country, you can play out of that country. Uh, And I overlooked the huge opportunity, the fact that my father was born in Denmark, I could have played out of Denmark for 10 years back in the 70s and 80s. Well, you still could. (laughs) still could, right. (laughs) (laughs) But uh, it's not that easy to to, to do that, to go to another country, because you actually have to be a citizen when it comes to the Olympics. I think there's some different rules with some of the nations regarding the world championships, but certainly Olympics, you have to be a citizen. Mailbag is brought to you by Nestle Boost. Complete nutrition to fuel your day. Here's an interesting email from BJ Jackson. Kevin, you're going to answer this one. When your son Karik sweeps, I can hear a sound that I only hear when he is sweeping and no one else. Yeah, that's his father screaming, sweep harder! (laughs) I kid. Is this accounted for by a specific technique? Uh, it has been in my mind for a long time. Not a big thing, but I wonder what is this guy making sense, Kevin, or is 
What what what's he talking about? A sound? Yeah. Oh no no. There's definitely a unique sound when Kirk's sweeping. And so I asked him about it this morning, actually, before before talking about this. What it is is just releasing pressure. I guess it wouldn't be a lot different than a pitcher throwing the ball, and some pitchers really a loud grunt or almost a scream, and then others a big breath release, whatever the case may be. For Karik sweeping, it's the same thing. He's pushing down as hard as he possibly can, and with that pressure, he releases it in that way, and it makes a fairly unique sound, actually. Yeah, I can't. I'd love to mimic it, but I cannot. Listen to the Inside Curling podcast ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. So, Canada's back in the World Cup. And whether you're a footy fanatic or tuning into soccer for the first time, we have the perfect series to accompany our nation's return to the world stage. Oh, go on, man. I'm Henry Standage, and in our new series, Painting the Pitch Red, I'll take you through the thrilling highs and heartbreaking lows of Canada's men's national team. This is the moment the country has waited for! Joining me will be some of the most respected Canadian soccer voices. FIFA the franchise. That video game changed everything here. Just an absolute corrupt CONCACAF. It was like this club you didn't know until you got in it. You know, now when you say you're from Canada, people are asking me about Alfonso Davies. Subscribe to Painting the Pitch Red by Sportsnet to hear Canada's soccer story in full color for the first time. New chapters drop every Canada match day at Qatar 2022. One thing no one ever asked me to do, fellas, is be a guest on their podcast. That never happens. We have lots of guests, and we told you about that at the beginning. In the House brought to you by Goldline. Goldline Curling Equipment can be found in pro shops and curling stores all around the world, plus their retail stores in Calgary, London, Scarborough, Mississauga, and they've got two stores in Ottawa. Goldline can be found at every Grand Slam of curling event, anytime, online, at goldlinecurling.com. Man, that guy knocks a lot. We better let him in. <laughs> We've got our guest. Welcome, Ryland Hartley. How are you, Ryland? Come on in, man. Very well. Thanks. <laughs> Thanks so much, Jim, for having me. Thanks, everyone. Yeah, you're welcome, man. You are the co-founder and half of the partnership of Curling Live, which is a partnership uh, with Sportsnet Now. And you're also the CEO of a newly formed players tour that serves to empower curlers to come together on important issues to protect the game and accelerate growing the sport worldwide. Wow. Wow. Once again, a crowded business cart, a player's tour. I'm going, what? What's what's up with that? <laughs> Not another tour? Tell me about that. There's an opportunity right now in the sport. Um, we really need to accelerate growing the sport worldwide. I think we need to create more value for its athletes, fans, and clubs. And I'm really concerned personally that the players don't have an equitable voice in running of the sport at the moment. So we're looking for a way to better mm -hmm. promote a game that, you know, I kind of feel is being underpromoted. Um, you know, curling is facing some really big challenges. There's a lot of talented athletes in our sport right now that are having to make really tough decisions each week to compete and stay in this game. Um, and, you know, most of the events right now, you're not, you're not winning really more than you put into the event to be there after you consider things like travel and hotels. So, you know, prize purses have not really gotten bigger in the last 20 years. You know, sometimes I use the, the analogy that it's sort of like a kid's birthday party out there. You know, the money just sort of changes hands each week and then you go to the next party. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I think there's, you know, there's a few problems with miscommunication between athletes, organizers, uh, some problems with, with scheduling for traveling teams, things that could be improved without really, you know, a whole lot of cost. It, it doesn't matter how much we grow the grassroots of our sport. If once you sort of get to the tour, there's nowhere for you to continue to grow and, and play. So I think we really need to get this right. And I think it starts with getting sort of everyone together to improve that communication. And, you know, that doesn't cost a lot. It just kind of costs time and some energy from these these athletes and organizers. And I think we can make a big difference by by starting to kind of, you know, build that framework. Sounds like what curlers have been waiting for for a long time and a, and a lofty enterprise. What's your background, Ryland? Tell, tell us how this all came about. Who had the idea and uh, <laughs> where, where you come from? 
Yeah, I actually come from more of a technology background myself. Uh, I do a lot of programming. I run a small marketing company for for many years. Um, you know, there's there's a lot of work to be done on this, um, and it's it's not just myself. It's it's a number of other players and organizers that um, you know I think are, are going to have to sort of carry that torch to to make some of these things happen. Um, I was speaking with you know Austin Snyder of Team Rooney, the the current Canadian Junior Champions. You know, it's it is really tough right now for these developing athletes and teams. So um, you know, when when talking to other people like our co-founder of Curling Live, Stu Sankey, you know, there's there's generally people sort of in our corner right now that that share this this vision for you know sort of growing the sport and really sort of making sure that uh, the sport is as good as it possibly can be for its athletes this year you know we've held a number of meetings with athletes and and organizers and I believe that developing a system that is largely designed and managed by its players and organizers is a great importance to the sport we're not there yet uh, but I think that we could do that with the players tour and we could you know start to see some of these events some of these things more directly guided by its players uh, to, to make a changing difference. So are you starting a new players tour? I might be confused here. <laughs> yeah, so players tour right now for this season has been sort of a moniker. You know, next season we want to get into starting to run a couple of events, uh, starting to manage a few things there. Um, you know, there's other monikers within the sport, like World Curling Tour is not really a, a, a real tour. You know, week to week, it's it's governed by independent organizers. Week to week, uh, you know, it's different at each event that you go to. There's not really a set of expectations, you know, event to event. You know, it changes every single week. And I think that, you know, developing a system for next season where, you know, there's a little bit more consistency is one of our goals. And starting to, you know, make sense of, you know, the streaming environment and the other things you see out there that right now are quite segmented and start to put this under, you know, more of a, uh, a singular brand for us is is important. Well, I'll tell you what, I, I know who loves what you're doing. Kevin, I've been uh, listening to Warren for a long time now about improving the game, and I bet this is music to his ears. Warren, I've got to be right on that, finally, on something. Well, we'll get into the players part of it uh, later with Kevin, but I, I first want to talk about Curling Live and exactly what is Curling Live and what's your objectives? What are you looking to do with Curling Live? Yeah, 100%. So, you know, Curling Live is a broadcast company that I co-founded with Stuart Sankey. It was a two-cell series. Um, and we're really focused on ultimately creating the best curling-specific streaming content and digital content experience for curlers and fans. So right now we operate a YouTube channel. We, you know, we have a number of things going on with, uh, with various tour events. I kind of came into curling from the side door, so I didn't really start playing until I was about 25. Um, I was fortunate to learn right away from some of the game's top athletes. And when I met Stu at Port Elgin here in Ontario, I remember going around spiels like that and, and talking to players about, you know, they're all dressed up in sort of these NASCAR outfits that you see at these events. You know, some of these these sponsorships, you know, might be 10% off at this, uh, you know, merchant or, you know, $500 here or there. For a lot of these developing teams, there's not a huge uh, ecosystem, not a lot of exposure. So, you know, I got talking with Stu and Stu generously runs and supports, you know, eight events uh, here in Ontario. Uh, and we had an opportunity to sort of sit down. I helped rebrand the Stu Cell Series in 2020, and we started streaming games from Stu's events shortly thereafter. When we saw the response and the numbers, that's when it turned into the the existing streaming ent entity that you see now with Curling Live. And, and now we're branding many more events outside of just Stu's original series. So if we look at video streaming today, a lot of stuff is being streamed on Curling. It seems to be somewhat disjointed and disconnected. Do you think you're going to be in a position to kind of pull all this together? How can Curling Live play a role in this going forward? Yeah, you know, it's it, it's really interesting. I, I think in just, you know, three years, basically, we've gone from having sort of like no coverage of these events when we started to events are now practically being expected to have professional streaming at, at almost every event. It's, it's become a big part of sponsorship packages for teams. Curling has as much or more streaming than almost any other sport or esport in the world right now. I think it's great, but I think it's interesting how we're using the stream at the moment. I'm finding that there's a lot of attention being spent on having lots of games, lots of hours of coverage, and you know, not as much of a balanced amount of attention with growing new audience. So what we end up with is there's sort of a cap on the audience at the moment with things like Curling Live, Curling Zone, Curling Canada, Recast, et cetera. There's so many. With what we can capture online, there's sort of this capped audience. And, and when multiple events are happening online, we're sharing that similar audience. And I think, you know, the conversation needs to be, you know, not just about having every game streamed and having, you know, all of these broadcasts shown, but also putting out a great broadcast that grows new audience. So I guess my question is sort of, you know, what's the script? What is the sport actually trying to accomplish with streaming? And I think, it's undeniably a better experience for teams and fans to, to pick between every game. You know, it's great that we can show some of these games, but it can't just be streaming for the sake of streaming. So when Stu and I first started working on this, 
you know, we met with multiple executives and broadcast companies like Sportsnet. We asked what they were looking for. And I think putting together a quality stream uh, became a very clear focus. And, you know, eventually, you know, we'll expand to other things where, you know, we can create additional forms of integrated content regularly at these events if we can keep it all a very high quality. So that, that's a lot of our focus. So a couple more things about streaming, then I'll flip it over to Kevin. So we're hearing all the time that people want, uh, they want a stream from every sheet of ice. And I know you did a, an event this year where you actually did that. What's your theory on streaming from five or six sheets, I guess, versus one. How do you think that should work? Uh, what about the quality, the overall numbers? What's your view on, on that going forward? I mostly know that we're trying to build new audiences, right? So, you know, however we can engage with brands and sponsors and the events and fans, you know, those are all great things. But at the end of the day, we have to be able to also put it into a framework that, you know, can be sold to sponsors, can have commercials, can do these other sorts of things. So, you know, I'm not sure quite yet the teams and broadcasters even really know how best to position themselves in the new streaming environment. But we've definitely started with quality sort of over quantity. And we have, you know, dabbled in that space, you know, in Penticton this year, largely thanks to event organizers like Kathy and Andrew, who helped out with the streaming with his crew at Penticton. You know, we were able to broadcast all six sheets there and have commentary on three of the sheets. Um, you know, I think if we can keep that level of quality uh, and engagement across each one of the sheets, then it's a really great thing. And it's, it's great that you get to see more of the games, but we haven't really seen a discernible difference with audience having six different sheets versus having, versus having one really high quality sheet. So the other is issue with, with streaming is commercials. And I guess as we move kind of from linear television into streaming, this becomes uh, an issue. And what's your position on commercials and anything in there to provide for the teams to acknowledge their sponsors as well with what you're doing? Yeah, I think that's that's hugely important um, with, with the product. You know, we want to be able to support the event and the team uh, that's playing in the games um, and be able to give back as much as possible. You know, this season, we, we didn't charge anything to come in and stream these events. Um, you know, we base everything in our revenue off of, you know, getting our own sponsors and putting things together. So we've been very clear in our term sheets as well about making sure that we keep some inventory for teams to show their sponsors. You know, each game we provide teams with one commercial spot each end, uh, and that rotates between the teams. And if there's any additional unsold inventory, we're also then able to make that available for those teams as well. So, you know, it's great when teams, you know, more broadly produce their own commercials. I really believe, and we've talked about this a little bit, uh, Warren, about, you know, the future having more integrated content. Basically, these are commercials that don't feel like commercials. This is content that, you know, has a sponsor logo, has a placement. Um, you know, in Okotoks, we saw, you know, teams like Botcher and Flash do a great job of this on our stream. What they're doing is pretty incredible. They run their own ads and they don't feel like ads. They feel like part of the broadcast. And, you know, we don't see as much of a drop in viewer retention when we run those ads as we do when we run more of like a static singular uh, brand placement. So, you know, I'd really encourage teams for future seasons, if you're planning to play in these streamed events of any kind, you know, put some content together with your sponsors, you know, really, really get creative if the resources are available to do so. So that way, you know, you can put your, your ads on there, you know, maybe have a team logo, put together a, a really good, uh, you know, series of team photos. So you have more of a brand kit uh, going into sort of this digital future with the sport with, with more streaming. First, I want to hear about Curling Live and, uh, and how you managed to get Curling.Live and Curling.com. You control the name Curling.com, which is, to me, as a business person in the sport of curling, how in the heck did you ever get that? Yeah, I think it's it's pretty interesting. I mean, like we we kind of dug through, uh, you know, just specific to the curling.com piece. I mean, you know, we, we made the conscious effort to go to curling.live this year um, to, to sort of differentiate a few things with some of the players groups that we were working with um, and, you know, make sure that there is a little bit more of a focus on on the live nature of what we were doing with broadcast. Um, you know, when we first sort of reached out to, to the owners of curling.com, you know, it was quite a process, to say the least, to even track that down and, and find them, you know. I think with a bit of the technology background that I had, it was it was interesting to be able to to reach out and, you know, see a couple of old websites that exist uh, in Internet Archive and be able to go through some old ads and contact some people that they knew and, you know, a little, little while after that be, you know, phoning them up in, in Alberta and saying, you know, hey, I think you might be the person who's operating curling.com right now um, <laughs> while they're working at their their job or whatever. You know, it was it was more just investigative work to get there. And, you know, it definitely it caused a stir when when people saw that brand uh, for the first time um, kind of come back into the scene last year. And we're super proud of the brand that we're building with Curling Live as well. And I think like it's uh, just making sure that it's a recognizable brand going forward with whatever we do is is the primary focus. 
I just think it's fascinating to be able to get that. Um, the relationship, I guess, with Sportsnet. What's what's going on with Curling uh, Live and, and uh, Sportsnet and Sportsnet.ca, Sportsnet Now? Yeah, so I mean, um, this year, basically what we did was we signed a media partnership with Sportsnet. So we're now sort of a part of that broader ecosystem. Uh, and what comes with that is that events that we have here can be essentially streamed and viewed on Sportsnet Now, which I really think does a couple of things. It, it really helps solidify these events as some of the best in the world. And ultimately, it provides events with a national platform for exposure. You know, the one thing I will say while I'm on here is, you know, I, I think there's still a number of people who don't realize that Sportsnet Now is a free subscription that comes with the channel. So if there's anything you guys can do about that uh, in telling your viewers that, I think that there's a number of people that, that think you have to pay to use Sportsnet Now with Sportsnet. This stuff comes with it. So if you're a Sportsnet subscriber, you can watch all of this curling live content directly on your TV every single week that we have an event. Um, if you'd prefer to watch it on YouTube, it will still be there. Facebook, it's still there. Um, you know, it's all free content there to watch. So we have no intentions right now of paygating anything uh, that we're producing. We think it's more important that we have more eyes on the sport and new audiences and as many people as possible can access these events. So talking about this, with all the different platforms and, and everywhere this is available, where do you see the numbers, the audience? Because that's obviously a, an obvious question to ask, is how's it looking as far as when you started this with Stu, the numbers you were getting then compared to now on a game or in, a, in an event that's equal quality? Because that's got to matter too. The quality of the field has to, has to make a difference as to a viewing audience. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, at the end of the day, I think more than quality of field is just, you know, the teams that have done a really good job of branding themselves and building communities, um, you know, on social media, th those teams get a lot more viewership right now because, you know, the, the audience that we're promoting to is kind of the hardcore curling audience, you know, like we're, we're not really into those new marketing channels quite yet. I think, you know, we had an event like Penticton this year that had 350,000 people between all of our, our channels, including Sportsnet Now. 350,000? 350,000 people. It's a big number. It's, it's a great number, a great number for an independent an event like that. And again, like I said, Kathy and Andrew do an amazing job with, with the stream with us this year. That committee is really incredible to work with. I think that the really interesting thing too is when you start to do more of a deep dive into the numbers that we're getting with streaming, it's actually a younger demographic. So in curling, it's, it's sort of a, a well-known fact that the main audience is, you know, 65 years plus. And, you know, with the streaming product, we're still seeing that that skewed to 65 plus, but we're also seeing younger audiences. So like for us, the 24 to 35 segment is super interesting, um, who aren't gravitating towards traditional media like TV. They'd rather watch a game on their computer. I think this is really new and encouraging um, that we might be able to capture a younger audience with things like streaming and, and alternative content. Because, you know, in another 10, 20 years time, <laughs> you know, we're, we're going to need these people, Kevin. Rylan, explain to, because uh, anyone who does a podcast or is doing what you're doing, um, they're, they're always concerned. Of course, this only works if audiences are built and who's, who's viewing it and what is their demographics. So when you talk about 350,000 people, are you able to break that down when you're talking about this age group and again, this demographic? Do you get to know exactly who's watching and, and their backgrounds and their age? And, and if so, how does that work? Yeah, absolutely. So, so we track those metrics really closely. Uh, we have things like concurrent viewership. Um, you know, all of the numbers that Sportsnet's uh, put together in our packages are based off of you know factual data from from our channels. Um, and you know, something like the twenty four to thirty five uh, segment, for example, is one that I know off the top of my head is twenty one point four percent of our viewership. Um, you know, obviously the number is smaller with the stream. You're going to have more people who are able to access through a computer. So the people who know how to use computers and technology a little bit more fluidly are going to make up some of that number. But I think that it is it's still substantial to be able to point to that and say, you know, it's skewing to a younger audience with with this product. You mentioned earlier, Rylan, that you're you're trying to do the players tour with players involvement in a big way. What's that kind of look like, I guess, in your mind, behind your eyes? How do you see that being put together? It's just sort of time that that players in this sport had a little bit more um, you know, equity with, with what has been going on. There's just a number of things that by being able to include players in some of the decisions we're making will benefit everything. And hopefully some of those groups that we've talked to this year will be able to go on and, and do other things in the sport beyond just the events that we're streaming and, and the events that we're putting together. Uh, you know, I'm very hopeful that, you know, if everybody sort of comes together, like this is a small sport, there's no room for sort of like turf wars between these different companies and, you know, different people having different stakes and things like, you know, we need to get everybody sort of on the same page and communicating, you know, more singular direction with everyone's opinions at the table. And I think that that could really move the needle forward to establishing some things for, for the future of the sport. 
you, you mentioned establishing some things. Well, I guess the obvious question, how does this grow the sport and have more money for the players and for events too, not just for the, for the players in the end, but also for the events and for the infrastructure? Yeah, I mean, we're, we're super committed with Curling Live and Players Tour to, to growing the sport globally. You know, right now, the lion's share of events are in Canada, and we're really focused on sort of taking that as the model, you know, using Canada from the last 30 years, for example, and using that as a model to build audience in new regions of the world. Like, you know, in our stream, we have some pretty interesting numbers coming out of Pacific Asia. We have some pretty interesting numbers coming out of USA. I think there's some clear opportunities um, to start to build infrastructure with events uh, in those areas of the world. And there's unique challenges there too. You know, like ice quality is not what it is in Canada in these other parts of the world. It's a lot of travel for the bulk of teams that we have in Canada to go to these other areas of the world. But I think like, you know, if Canadian teams were to sit down with world teams and if world teams were to sit down with Canadian teams, we would actually find that a lot of the differences that we have in the sport are more similar than we think. And I think that you'd be able to get uh, a lot of progress put together pretty quickly by having some of those very bright curlers that we have in the sport, you know, come together on, on some common goals. You know, if, when it comes to growing the sport, we, we obviously need to have uh, the youth and the kids involved. Do you have any, uh, in your mind, any plan of that, like how, how to bring the kids? And obviously streaming is a good start because that's that leans towards the younger demographic. But any... Uh, direct involvement with uh, curling live and and uh, young curlers you know n- not enough yet really i think it's it's definitely a focus of something we talk about uh within the organization right now and you know i think that people like uh the director that we have thomas west uh as well as like people like our commentators uh john collin like these are people who are, are bringing sort of a funner storytelling side to the sport you know we've been very very um you know open to to creative ideas within stream I think another area that is personally interesting to me is is curling education. I think there's a better way to take that online, get more people, more youth involved uh, in a way that's more affordable, maybe a little bit more accessible. There's a few plans uh, ruminating for some of that stuff. But, you know, in general, we're focused on just making the, the broadcast more entertaining. But I would love to see more partnerships with, you know, younger content and, and you know, be focusing on bringing, you know, again, a, a new audience to the table. You know, it, we, we can't continue to focus on the same audiences that, that curling has built over the years. I think something like streaming, it gives us an opportunity to get creative and, and bring a few new audiences uh, into the mix for curling. One more uh, thing probably before we let you go, and that's the whole Bonspiel circuit out there today. A lot of events going on, a lot of things happening, different tiers to it, but it's all not interconnected. Do you see a way forward of how you're going to interconnect all these various competitions? Yeah, I mean, it, it won't be just specifically up to me, but I think like, you know, again, getting uh, players and event organizers at the same table would be a good start. Um, you know, I think that uh, we're not going to be able to change everything with scheduling. You know, a lot of the schedule is already pre-planned right now till 2026 with Curling Canada, World Curling Federation, et cetera. But I think we can do a better job of putting events in similar regions. Uh, we can do a better job of connecting events. So that way, you know, events that you play in have benefits at, at other events, et cetera. There is a larger way to connect everything here. And uh, it's something that I'm very passionate about. And I hope that players and, and event organizers will be passionate about as well. Well, Ryland, thanks very much. Uh, I understand we're having some technical problems and they're telling me that you cannot hear me and I know you're faking that, okay? I know you're faking that. Uh, It's been great having you. Kevin, say goodbye to Ryland for me, would you? Okay, I got to have a nap, okay? (laughs) Hey, thanks a lot, Ryland, for coming on. Appreciate it. Thanks so much for everything you guys are doing. Appreciate it. Uh, boys, this sounds like a guy uh, that people uh, wanted to have a long time ago on this event. I, like I said, I know it's music to Warren's ears for sure, and I'm sure it is to yours too, Kev. Wrap up, Kevin, what he's actually doing. Ryland's doing a lot of work in a lot of ways, but calling the, the players tour, you're not really starting a new tour or anything. It's just, you know, how how these events are run and maybe a set of uh, rules and regulations for all the events that the players play in and have the players have a voice in the rules and regulations. That's kind of it. Like it's, it's really important for the sport to go forward. And, you know, obviously with the stream of curling live and a partnership with Sportsnet, he has the ability to bring in a younger audience, which I think is really good. Yeah. I think what, uh, what's attempted to be done here is so long overdue. And, uh, I, I think things are starting to move. I think this whole 
thing has been very disjointed over the years and it needs to be pulled together. There's different levels of competition going on, but it all needs to be interconnected. And I think uh, Rylan and the group he's working with, it's what they're going to try to do, not just in Canada, but worldwide to have a system in place and how you move from one level to the other. And, and I think that's so overdue and hopefully it's going to begin to be resolved and things are going to be much better and bigger going forward. And it would begin to see more money coming into the whole thing. Speaking of more money, Kevin, am I getting a sense also that, according to Ryland, that maybe they're going to look at the unfair balance with the distribution of cash at some of these events? Well, that's up to the players. I hope that uh, you know how mm-hmm. how that's decided. Obviously, as there's more and more audience, which you know, Ryland has alluded to, that it's growing. As the uh, audience grows, the amount of sponsorship grows. Um, the pot that you're mentioning that the players are playing for will increase. And then the players, the, the rules and rights can decide the way it's split up. That should be the, a lot to do with the players and, and organizers. So I guess that's just, I guess, streamlining it and making it, I guess, a little bit more fair for everyone involved is uh, is kind of what they're looking at. Uh, once again, Kevin and Warren, you found a guest uh, that is smarter than me. <laughs> again, we keep doing that. <laughs> <laughs> this guy. This guy's in the forefront here of uh, developing curling. Uh, congratulations to Ryland Hartley. This is uh, this is going to be something to watch for, and this guy is going to make some waves. Thanks to him for joining us, and uh, thank you to everybody for listening. There's a big announcement. Starting next week, there will be a new edition of Inside Curling. Don't tell me you're getting rid of me. No? Okay. <laughs> I'm okay. It's going to be called Way Inside with John Cullen, who's a bit of a comedic guy and uh, curler, so uh, watch for that. Also, we'd like to... Thank Rod Paulson and his company, In-House Strategies, for all the great work he's doing on our Facebook uh, and our Facebook page. Uh, it really is the go-to for all things curling, and thanks to Warren for answering. If you'd like to join us, uh, check it out. Uh, there's there's lots of stuff online there uh, that you can do. A reminder, again, send us an email if you want to do it, insidecurling at gmail.com. And thank you to Sports Interaction, Coyote, Boost, and Goldline who make Inside Curling possible each and every week. What did you guys learn this week? Anything? Anything at all? Hmm? Warren? Well, I think we learned that Curling Live is alive and uh, have lots of plans going forward. And certainly we hope that uh, Ryland is able to accomplish a lot of things he's trying to do. And Kevin? What did you learn this week? Well, he's a busy guy, isn't he? <laughs> Rylan Hartley. Uh, you know, it's funny, a guy that is so passionate about curling and didn't start till he's 25 years old. So that's a, that's a unique story And because he's not, he's not a very old guy now. So he's just, he's only been at the sport for a while, has fallen in love with it and is really doing a lot of great work. Good stuff, boys. Way to go. Kevin, you're on your way to Oakville uh, for December 6th. Cool. And uh, if you're around the Toronto area or anywhere, jump on a plane, go down and watch the Grand Slam event and... Uh, Hit up the Pinty's Eat Well Zone. How about Drink Well Zone? Don't they have any of those anymore at uh, at curling events? <laughs> well, I think you can get you can definitely have a glass of wine in the uh, in the Eat Well Zone. There's no yeah. problem with that. Warren used to tell me at the Briars, Jim, get out of the Drink Well Zone. Okay, there's work <laughs> to do. Uh, <laughs> so you can do that. Go uh, their website, thegrandslamofcurling.com, uh, to get your tickets. Take it easy, boys. Uh, can I wish you a Merry Christmas? Not yet, sure. <laughs> no, yeah, okay, I won't. I won't. It's too early. Okay, we'll talk to everyone later. Thanks for listening, everybody. See you, Kevin. See you more. Hey, thanks, Jimmy. Thanks, Jim. Thanks, Jim.